Thank you for choosing the podcast of East Haven Baptist Church in Brookhaven, Mississippi. For more information on the ministries of East Haven and to access videos and sermon notes from our services, visit www.easthaven.net. Well, this morning we are continuing our series called The War for Joy. And over the last few weeks, we've been looking at biblical joy. What is it? What it is not? Where does it come from? How do we keep it? And I mention the definition of biblical joy. We've mentioned it every week for us, for we humans, uh, because we're going to talk about the joy of the Lord, Lord in just a moment. But for, for us, what does it mean to have joy? And we said that biblical joy is an abiding delight by abiding in Christ. It's a delight, a thoughtful excitement, a carefully understood excitement, a biblically grounded excitement that comes from staying put in Christ, staying in a relationship with him. That is, we have a relationship, and we live in that relationship. I'm not talking about losing your salvation. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about staying put in Christ, loving him, allowing him to lead, and then showing him in your life. And we said that that abiding delight comes from abiding in Christ. But there's another type of joy that we find in the Bible. It's related. It's connected And that is not the joy that we ourselves have, but it is the joy of the Lord. Now, we all probably know those people. Don't be looking around once I start saying this. Don't look around or nudge the person next to you and say, that's you. Uh, But we all know those people, I think, that it seems like they're never joyful. It seems like, at best, they just operate in a neutral space. They just operate in a place of not joy, but in a place of not upset at this moment. Do you know what I'm talking about? And then you have moments where you're trying to keep that person from getting below that place of just being neutral because it seems like you may, you may know somebody that there are two channels, if you will. One is just neutral and the other one is they're upset or irritated about something. It doesn't seem like they ever go into joy. Here's what I think we do all too often. I think all too often we make the mistake of believing that that is how God is toward his children, or that is how God operates toward things in general, that, that God in his holiness is just more or less neutral, and we want to avoid doing anything that would upset him. But the Bible is very clear. There are things that grieve the heart of God. There are certain things that happen that, that, that grieve his heart, that, that, that upset God in his holiness and his perfection. But there are also things that bring joy to the heart of God the Father. And if you look in the book of Zephaniah, there is uh, one verse I just want to look at today, and then we're going to be all over the Bible. Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. Let's pray as we get started. Lord God, we come before you and we pray that you might speak to us this morning through your word. We pray that you might give us understanding, you might give us wisdom. We pray that we might understand the joy that you have 
and we might understand that from a biblical perspective so that we can join in that type of joy. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Sometimes when you read a verse like this verse in Zephaniah, we immediately think, well, that's just, the writer's just being metaphoric. God's not really that joyful. No, God does have joy over certain things. Now, here's where I'd like for us to to differentiate or at least kind of tease this apart in order to put it back together in just a moment. You'll see what I'm saying. So many times when we read the phrase in the Bible, the joy of the Lord, this is what we think. The joy that we have in the Lord. That is, the joy that we have being in relationship with God through Christ the joy that we have through the things that God does, the joy that we have in who God is. And we say, that's the joy of the Lord. Well, that's a part of it. Then we'll say something like this. Well, the joy of the Lord means the joy we have from the Lord, the joy that God gives us. And we'll look more at that in just a moment. And there's an element of that in the phrase, the joy of the Lord. So, yes, there's an element of the joy that we have in the Lord. There's an element of having joy from the Lord, but we are talking more specifically about the joy of the Lord. That is the joy that God himself has. And so I I want us just to get one thing in our heads and in our hearts, and if, if we latch on to this, everything else will make a whole lot of sense. And when you first hear this phrase, you're going to think, I don't, why, that, that, that seems to set in an unsettled way with us. And it, the phrase is this, God is the only being who can be perfectly and rightly self-centered. God's the only being who can be perfectly and rightly self-centered. Now, when we think about self-centeredness, we say, well, that's a bad thing. It's a bad thing to be self-centered. It's a bad thing to be self-centered unless you're God. But if you are God, you should be self-centered. Because who is there beside you? Who is above you? Who is to be magnified above you? No one. So God delights in himself. So the joy of the Lord is a joy that comes from God delighting in his own glory. I talked to a group of students one time and I made a statement similar to this and this one girl raised her hand and she said, well, that seemed, doesn't that make God sinful? And I said, why would you say that? She said, well, if you, if God is self-centered and God is seeking his own glory, the Bible says that we shouldn't seek our own glory. Doesn't that make God a sinner? And I said, no, because if God in his perfection was seeking the glory of anybody else over his, that would be sin. But God seeking his own glory, that's not sin. That's correct. That's right. That's perfect. That is what holiness does. So God is seeking his own glory. Can I just tell you the only only type of being who would look at God's self-exalting nature and say, I think that's wrong, are sinful beings. If we understood God in all perfection, and one day we will, those of us who are followers of Christ in his presence, we will understand why God is a perfect God and why God brings all glory and honor and praise, directs it back to himself because he is the only one deserving of it. We in our sinfulness 
can't really grasp a self-exalting God fully. But God exalts, he glories in his own glory. So with that in mind, what brings joy to God? What can we learn about the joy of the Lord from the word of God? Well, a few things. The first one is this, the joy of the Lord is held with his full knowledge of everyone who belongs to him. It's held with the full knowledge of everyone who belongs to him. If you are a follower of Christ, if you, hear me, if you're a follower of Christ, God rejoices over you. Now, I know we say, now, wait a minute. What about when I sin? Well, God doesn't rejoice in our sin, but God rejoices over those who are his. God rejoices that he has children who are his. And God rejoices with a full understanding of who we are. I've talked to people before, I've shared the gospel with people before, and they'll make statements like this, oh, well, you know, preacher, if if you knew me, if you knew me like I know me, then you would know that God doesn't want to have anything to do with me. And I'll always make a statement to them, if you knew you like God knew you, you would be even more desperate. Because we don't even recognize just how desperate we are for the person and the work of Jesus. So we we have to understand, when God sees us and God rejoices over his children, he does so with a full understanding of who we are. He does so with a full understanding of our limitations. He doesn't rejoice in our sin, but he rejoices in the fact that we know Christ. Listen to what the psalmist writes in Psalm 147, verse 11. But the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those who hope in his steadfast love. Psalm 149, verse 4, for the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He adorns the humble with salvation. Jeremiah, in Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23, thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the God who practices steadfast love justice and righteousness in the earth and don't miss this last line for in these things i delight declares the lord the lord delights in showing steadfast love justice and righteousness at the the kids that you saw up here just a moment ago they sang a verse about being uh, saying the the biblical truth about being created by god for god that's what isaiah 43 7 tells us that we are created for god God created us for his purposes, in his image, and God rejoices in those who are his. You find the same thing, reiterate, this isn't in your outline, but just jot it down, Isaiah 48, 11. God acts for his own sake, for his own glory, so that he will be seen, and that he will be known, and that he will be glorified. And he goes on to say that he will not give his glory, he will not share his glory with anybody else. His alone is the glory. So whenever you are a follower of Christ and God rejoices over you, God rejoices over you with a full knowledge of all the stuff, with all the junk in the past, with all the things that you wrestle with, God still looks at you and he rejoices. There may be things that grieve his heart that we do, but who we are in Christ brings joy to the heart of God the Father. Now it's around this time that somebody thinks, yeah, but what people really respond to is judgment. You really need to preach the hard God, the harsh God. The heavy-handed God. Can I just tell you, the judgment of God is absolutely a reality. But so is the joy of God. 
And you can't have one without the other. And when you realize just the state that you are in without God, then you realize how incredibly more glorious is the joy of God and the grace that he extends toward us. You've heard me say it so many times before. Grace is only amazing when you realize you're not. When you realize you're not amazing and you don't have it all together and you're not the end-all, beat-all and you're not all that in a bag of chips. No, you are broken, messed up, tore up from the floor up and the Lord God intervened and the Lord God sent his own son to die on the cross in our place to show that incredibly amazing grace. So it's not just a matter of a, a judging God, a harsh God, a God who's going to punish sin. He is. But he's also a God who is a God of mercy and grace and love. And both of those coexist at the same time, and you can't have one without the other. So we find that God rejoices over his children. There's an old story about a man who was uh, on his horse, and he was uh, a, kind of a, a ministry leader way back in the day. And he was riding along over in the British Isles one day, and he saw a peasant down on his knees uh, praying to God. And just tears streaming down his face. And the man stopped his horse and looked down at this peasant. And he said, sir, what are you doing? And he said, I am praying to my God. Tears again streaming down his face. And the man on horseback said, "Uh, you must love God very much. And the man looked at him and said, yes, he is very fond of me. He is very fond of me. God is very fond of me. And that may sound foreign to so many people. Maybe you grew up in an environment where you didn't understand, you you didn't see that somebody, a parent was fond of you. Can I just tell you, if you're a follower of Christ, your heavenly father is very fond of you. He loves you. He rejoices over you. He takes no pleasure in sin. Sin will be judged. Absolutely. But he takes pleasure in those who are his, who were created for him, by him, for his purposes. But not only is the joy of the Lord held with his full knowledge, The joy of the Lord is directed toward that which fulfills the desires of Christ. God takes joy in those things that fulfill the desires of Jesus. Because if it's fulfilling the desire of Jesus, it's fulfilling the desire of God the Father. Listen to Matthew chapter 3 verse 17. This is when Jesus was baptized. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. God the Father is completely and totally pleased with God the Son. So what happens whenever we come to Christ? We receive the righteousness of Jesus. So therefore, we can stand before God, not because of our own merit, not because of our own doing, not because of our own righteousness, no, because of the righteousness of Christ that has been given to us, mercifully given to us. And we can stand in the presence of God himself, and God can look at us and say, I am well pleased with you. You meet the standard. Well, how can I meet the standard? I did this back then, or I said this, or I thought this, or, and I, I lived this way for so many years. But God says, no, no, no. No, it's about the righteousness of my son that has been applied to you. You are a new creation in Christ. That person that you were before Christ is dead and gone. You are a new creation. And now you are to fulfill the desires of Christ. And God rejoices in that. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8. For at that time, Paul writes, you were darkness. That is, that time before Christ. But now you are light in the Lord. 
We've, we've been brought from darkness to light, been transformed from darkness to light. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And look at verse 10 of Ephesians 5, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. This doesn't mean pleasing to God so that you will be saved. This doesn't mean pleasing to God so you can meet that standard. No, we just talked about this. The standard has already been set in Jesus. And the standard's already been applied to your life. Your status has changed if you are a follower of Christ. Your status before God is now the same status that Jesus himself has. But our sanctification is a process. So that's what he's talking about. You were once darkness, now you're light. Your status has permanently changed. But now the way you live that out, seek to be more and more and more like Jesus in our behavior, in our thoughts, in the way that we go about life. Even though our status is perfect in the eyes of God, our, our standing is perfect, our status is perfect, but our sanctification is still in process. We're still working it out. We're not perfect right here and right now. But God takes pleasure in those who are his, and he takes pleasure in those things that fulfill the desires of Christ. And how do we get this desire? Well, Philippians 2 tells us, verse 13, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. God is the one who gives us the want to, to fulfill his good pleasure. God is the one who works in us and empowers us to fulfill those desires of Christ. That's why we find in Psalm chapter 40, verse 8, the psalmist writes, I delight to do your will, O my God. Are we delighting to do his will? If we are surrendered to Christ, we will begin to more and more delight to do the will of God, and we will prefer the will of God over our own selfish will. And then we rejoice. We rejoice with God when we see the desires of Christ being fulfilled. Have you ever had a moment where you see that the desires of Christ and your desires are not running together? They're running contrary to one another? And you may have thought, well, this has got to be a desire of God. It's a good thing. It's got to be a desire of God. It's what I want. It's got to be a desire of God. It's what I've always done. And then in God, by his spirit, through his word, shows us that there's some things that maybe need to change. And we say, oh, but God, I like these things. These things are good. These things are comfortable. And God is saying, no, 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 but I'm not delighting in them. Do the things that... The, that, that bring delight to Christ. Do the things, the desires of the heart of Christ. What We find numerous things throughout the Bible that are the desires of Christ. One of them is we rejoice when people come to salvation. We won't read it all, but in, in Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells three parables. Luke 15, starting in verse 1, it says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together all his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner 
who repents. And he goes on to tell the parable that's a little bit longer than these other two. About the parable of the lost son. There's a lost sheep, there's a lost coin, there's a lost son. The prodigal son who takes his inheritance and squanders it in a far country and then realizes that the servants in his father's house have it a whole lot better than he does himself eating in a pigsty. And so he decides to return home and the Bible says that while he's still a long way off, his father sees him and runs to him. And the the son has his little speech rehearsed. Father, I'm no better than any of your servants. Make me one one of your hired hands. And before he can get it out, the father says, listen, put a robe on his feet. Or put his robe on his back, put some shoes on his feet. We're going to give him the royal or the the family ring and bring him back. We're going to sacrifice the fatty calf. We're going to have a barbecue. We're going to celebrate my son who was lost and has found. The older brother is complaining. We all kind of have the heart of the older brother at times, don't we? The older brother starts complaining. And in Luke chapter 15, verse 31, the father says to him, Son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. The whole point of the three parables, it's the same thing. There is something that was lost and that something that is lost gets found. And when it's found, there's rejoicing in heaven. And so, so many times we'll, we'll try to tone that story down. We'll try to make it say something that it's not. The, the, the shepherd leaves the 99 to go get the one, but he doesn't stay out there with the one. He brings the one back to the 99. The woman takes that one coin and she brings it back to be a part of the collection that she has. The son who was lost is now found, who was figuratively dead, is now alive and back together with the family. And God says he rejoices over those things. That's one thing that gets me. We, we talk sometimes about people getting saved, and people are like, well, that's great. For goodness sake, they've gone from, li- from death to life, from darkness to light, from being lost to being found. That's a big deal in heaven. That is a huge deal in heaven. And so we have to understand that God has joy, and he delights in those things that are the delight and that are the desires of the heart of Christ. And the more we have the heart of Jesus, the more we will delight in the same things that bring the light and joy to God the Father. So the joy of the Lord is directed toward that which fulfills the desires of Christ. Right, let me just ask, are there things in your life right now that are bringing you joy that you can say, it's bringing me joy because it is the desire of Jesus? I know it's the desire of Jesus in my life, and so it brings me joy to seek those things out because I know that it is bringing my Heavenly Father joy. It's bringing Him that joy as we glory in Him. He glories in Himself. That's the whole point of it. Again, we talk about the self-centered God and we, the self-exalting God and we, we, the self-glorifying God and we get really uncomfortable with that, but that's the reality. God glories in himself. And if we are in Christ, then we're going to seek God's glory above anything else as well. That, that word glory that you find most often used in the Old Testament is a word kabod. That's how it would be, it would be said basically in the Hebrew. K-A-B-O-D, if you were going to write it in English, transliterate the the sound. But kabod means the weight, the weight of something, the heaviness of something, the the gravitas of something. 
And so whenever we say that God is seeking his own glory, it's that God's seeking the weightiness of his presence, the importance, the, the magnificence of it all. His glory, that's what we are to seek because that's what God is seeking for himself. And so if we are about the things of God, if we are about the things of Christ, then we will be seeking the glory of God ourselves. All you got to do is ask yourself, is this something that is bringing glory and honor and praise to God? It's what I'm doing or what I'm thinking. Is that bringing glory to God? Is that a true, accurate reflection of who God is? Is that an accurate reflection of who I am in Christ? So many times we're living like people that we are no longer. We're living like we're, we're still dead in our trespasses and sins instead of alive and living in the light of God's revelation. We're to live like who we are, and who we are are people who have been redeemed to show, display, to know and show and display the glory of God in our lives. So we find that the glory of God is directed toward that which fulfills the desires of Christ. And then finally, the glory of the Lord, the joy of the Lord, I'm sorry, the joy of the Lord is the source of a greater joy than we now know. Think about the most joyous time you've ever had in your life. I mean, true, absolute joy. Can I just tell you? It's nothing compared to what's ahead if you're a follower of Christ. It, it would blow our minds. Our minds couldn't even get our head around, or, or, or we couldn't get our minds around exactly the, the, the amount of joy that is awaiting us. I talked to an older gentleman many years ago, and he said, I don't know what's so great about heaven. I'm just going to be sitting on a cloud plucking on a harp. That is not what the Bible says. Yeah, it is. He said, I, I've seen those old Bugs Bunny cartoons. I know how it works. That's all that's happening. So that is not that is not, first of all, don't get your theology from cartoons. That's a good first start. Get it from the Word of God. There's rejoicing in heaven. There, there, is, there is work to be done in this new heaven and new earth. And it's all about bringing glory and honor and praise to God. But there is a joy that we can't even begin to get our mind around that awaits us. No matter how much joy we have right now. Listen to John chapter 15 verse 11. This is what Jesus says. We looked at this in, um, I think twice now we've looked at these two verses. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Jesus says, I am saying these things to you so that the joy that I have, the, the, the desire to seek and glorify my Father, that delight that I have, I want that same delight to be in you. I want the joy that I have to be the joy that I give and the joy that I give to be the joy that you receive and then the joy that you have. Jesus says, I want you to have the same kind of joy that I have. Now that's, that's heavy. That's weighty. That's, that's weighty in that kabod sense, that glory weight sense. It's the same thing about his peace when he says, not as the world gives do I give to you. He goes, but before that, he says, my peace I give to you. The peace that Jesus has. Jesus gives us his peace. Jesus gives us his joy. How can we know the peace and the joy of Jesus? Because we've been given as followers of Christ the very righteousness of Jesus. 
And so he gives us his righteousness, our right standing changes, our standing changes before God the Father. We're in right standing with him. He looks at us in Christ as though we've never sinned before. And then because of that, we're at peace with God. And then we can have peace with everything else because we say, that's okay. I'm okay with God. The most important thing, the biggest conflict I will ever experience in my life has been dealt with on the cross. And because of that, I'm at peace with God. And now I can have the peace that comes from Christ. I can have the joy that comes from Christ because I have the righteousness that comes from Christ. And so now we find that Jesus says, I'm saying these things so that my joy will be in you. You will have my joy and that your joy will be full. That you'll be crammed to the brim with my joy. In John chapter 17, a couple of chapters over, Jesus says this, but now I am coming to you and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I'm speaking these things so you'll have joy and you'll have my joy fulfilled in yourself. You'll have my joy coming to fruition and being seen by those around you. If you are living with me, if you're abiding in me, it's going to be a, a, the, the joy of the Lord is a source of joy that is far greater than anything we now know or even could imagine. There's an old spiritual that goes like this. This joy I have, the world didn't give it to me. The world didn't give it and the world can't take it away. And that's the truth. The world didn't give you your joy. So the world doesn't get to take away your joy because the world is not the source of your joy. The joy of the Lord is the source of your joy. The abiding in Christ is the source of your joy. The world did not give that. The world did not offer that. The world offered sinful substitutes for that. Jesus is the only one who truly offers that, who truly gives that. And if that is the case, then it can't be taken away because he's the one who gave it, not the world. And it's a joy that we can't even begin to imagine. Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10, at this point in time, they've reread the law of God and the people have realized, wait a minute, we have fallen short. And they start crying and they start weeping. And notice in Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10, Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready, for this day is holy to the Lord, and do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Can you say that? The joy of the Lord is my strength. The joy that God himself has, that God himself has extended to me, the joy that comes from having the right standing before God because of the righteousness that's found in Christ, and now I share not only in his righteousness, but I have the peace of God, and I also have the joy of the Lord through Christ. And because of that, the joy of the Lord is my strength. That abiding delight, that abiding, careful, thoughtful excitement that comes from staying put in Jesus and following him. The joy of the Lord is your strength. First Peter chapter 1, verse 8, Peter writes, Though you have not seen him, that is, we have not seen Jesus face to face, you love him, though you do not now see him, you believe in him, and look at this phrase, and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Peter says if you know Jesus and you're rejoicing in the joy of the Lord, your joy is inexpressible. You can't even find words to express the depth of joy that you experience whenever you're delighting in Christ, and it's full of glory. It's full of glory that goes all the way back to God because God is self-glorifying, and if we are in Christ, we will glorify God ourselves, knowing he's the only one who's worthy of it. There's a parable that we find in the book of Matthew, 
and it's a, about a master with some servants, and he gives servants certain things and tells them to take care of it while he's gone, and when he comes back, he finds that some of the servants have invested things, and one of the servants hid some stuff. But among those who invested it, this is the word of the master in the parable to those servants. Matthew chapter 25, verse 23, the words of Jesus. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Enter into the joy of your master. The joy that your master has. Enter into his joy. Participate in his joy. Be a part of his joy. Notice what he says. Well done, good and crafty servant. It's not what he says. Well done, good and highly talented servant. It's not what he says. Well done, good and very creative servant. It's not what he says. Well done, very good and smart servant. No. Well done, good and faithful. You want to see joy in your life? Be faithful. Be faithful to God's word. Be faithful to the desires of Christ. Be faithful to bring glory and honor and praise to God alone with your life, and you'll find joy. Be faithful. That's what he honors, faithfulness. Sometimes we say, oh yeah, but God, God honors results. Can I just tell you, God honors faithfulness. That's what he honors. It doesn't matter what the results look like if you have gotten them by some unfaithful means. Doesn't matter. Does not matter. The thing that God is looking for is faithfulness. He takes care of all the rest. Are you faithful? Are you faithful to seek the glory of God? Are you faithful to seek out those things that bring delight to Christ, those things that He delights in, those things that are His desires? Are you faithful in recognizing that this is not it? There's a joy far beyond anything that we see right here and right now. Are you faithful to the God? who delights in you as a child of God, but also delights in the fact that you are a child of his. His. Because he delights in his own work. He delights in his own glory. He delights in himself in the right way. And because he's that kind of God, we delight in him. And God sent his son, in whom he was well pleased. Jesus, who was faithful in everything. Faithful to the end. Faithful to fulfill the purpose and the call of God, which is his father sent him to die on the cross for our sins so that we can have that right standing we talked about. Listen, if you don't know Christ today, you're not in right standing with God and there's nothing that you can do to make up that gap. There's nothing that you can do to bridge that chasm. The only thing, the only hope that any of us have is the righteousness that comes to us from Christ through faith, by his grace. That's it. That's all we've got. And God offers just that. If we recognize that we're sinners, we turn from our sin and ourself and turn toward God alone, if we receive forgiveness for our sins and surrender our lives to him, we will be saved. And we then are delighted in by God himself as his own children. And then he empowers us to live lives that bring glory and honor and praise to him. That, that we do the things and think the things and live in such a way that bring the light to the heart of God the Father and how we live out the indwelling Jesus who is bringing his joy into our lives.
That's the God who delights. Let's pray. Lord God, we, we're thankful that you are a God who delights in truth. You delight in righteousness. You delight to see people come to salvation. You delight in those who are your own. You delight in those things that reflect your glory. You delight in all the things that you have created, that you have created for your purpose, for your glory. God, may we be people who bring you glory and bring you honor and bring you praise in all that we do. Father, we want to know the joy that you have. We want to know the joy that is found in Christ alone because we, we recognize the only way we can know that joy is by abiding in Christ. The only way we can know your joy, your self-exalting, self-glorifying joy is to be in Christ. And then we in turn will glorify you. So Father, I pray now that if there's anybody here this morning, if there's anybody watching or listening either now or, or some other time, and Father, they're living a life that's consumed with self. They're consuming a life that is, they're living a life that is consumed with self-glory, self-exalting. Father, I pray that through your word, you would speak to them and recognize that none of that lasts. The only hope we have is the glory that is found in you alone. And that glory is received by receiving that righteousness that comes from Jesus, by turning from our sin and self, recognizing the glorious gift of salvation of Jesus as he died on a cross in our place for our sins and then rose again on the third day. And that if we place our trust and our faith in him and surrender our lives, we will be saved. And we will experience that joy that is beyond anything we know now when we are fully made right all of our thoughts and all of the things that we wrestle with in our hearts, all of those things will be made right. We will be perfect in your presence. Not just our, our status that is perfect now, but our, our very life will be absolutely perfect. We won't even have the desire to ever sin. So Father, we thank you for that truth and thank you for the joy that awaits those who know you. And Father, may we live in the reality that we will face that joy one day and experience that joy to the absolute fullest if we know Christ. And we give you thanks for that truth. I pray for anybody here today that maybe they're wrestling. Maybe they've been wrestling with joy in their lives. Maybe they've been wrestling with having and holding and, and, and walking in joy. Father, I pray that today you would speak to their hearts and show them the joy that they can have even now in the work of Christ. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Maybe some of you have some decision to make today. Maybe you want to come to the altar and pray. Maybe you'd like for one of us to pray with you. Maybe you want to talk to somebody about how you can know Christ as Lord and Savior. Maybe you want to talk to somebody about joining the church, being baptized. Whatever that decision is, you respond as God leads in this time of decision. Church family, let's stand. In your presence.